In the name of Jesus, amen. The Lord puts before us the picture of two men. One is a rich man and one is Lazarus. The Lord here is challenging us with a loving but a firm question. And the question is this, which of these two would you pick to be? Which life would you rather live? That of the rich man or that of Lazarus? Now, if you could only see the first three verses and the rest was gone, it was just those three verses. Uh, Those three verses are about the temporal and earthly life of those men. So if you could only see those first three verses, which man would you rather be? Would you rather be the rich man or would you rather be Lazarus? On the one hand, option one is the rich man. That means you are clothed in purple and fine linen, which is the most expensive uh, color to make. And uh, it, the, the most comfortable clothing is the best, the nicest, most fashionable, expensive clothing you can buy. Uh, he feasted sumptuously every day. That means he ate the best foods day in and day out. Uh, ate at the best restaurants, the best fine wine and cheese every day of his life. He had a large house as well. He had lots of property. In fact, uh, he had enough property that he needed to have a fence and a gate That's how much property he had. Probably a beautiful view, a pool, things like this. We also know that he had a large family. Um, We know later that he had five brothers. And they were, uh, we can assume that they were together uh, a lot of times. He had five brothers and you can assume that he didn't feast sumptuously on his own every day, but that those five brothers were there and their families and their children and their wives, so on and so forth, that they're eating and drinking and laughing and being merry all together. So that's option one. That's the rich man. Option two is Lazarus, who is poor. And he has no home, no shelter, no shelter from the heat or the rain or the cold. He doesn't have a change of clothes. He has no friends, no family. He's covered with sores, embarrassing sort of uh, disease that he has. He has no health. Uh, The only companions he he has are dogs that lick his wounds. He has no food. He longs for the food that falls from the master's table, the excess that they accidentally spill, and it falls on the floor. That is option two. What is your answer? Which one would you rather be? Which life would you rather live? That of the rich man or that of Lazarus? And the answer is obvious. Which one is it? That of the rich man. Of course. In, in fact, you don't even have to think about it. That's the, if you, you only had those three verses and you had to pick between those two, which would you pick? Well, of course, I would pick the first one. I would pick the rich man. I would not choose the life of Lazarus. Now, if you could only see the last 10 verses of this text, not the first three, but the last 10. That is, these last 10 verses have to do with the eternal state of the soul after death, what happens to them. Which one of the two would you rather be? Option one, you have Lazarus who died, 
who the, the holy angels of God came and carried him home to be at Abraham's side. That is heaven. That is to be with Jesus himself. That's option one. Option two is the rich man who also died. He was buried. He was dragged to Hades. That is to hell. He's continually in torment. He's crying out for mercy, thirsting for one drop of water, for someone to dip their hand in, uh, dip their finger in water and put it on his tongue to cool off his tongue because he says, I'm in anguish in this flame. If you only had these 10 verses to go off of, which of the two would you choose to be? And the an- would, you, would you be Lazarus or would you be the rich one? And the answer is obviously Lazarus, of course. In fact, it's so obvious you don't have to think about it. It's, it's, such a, it's a silly question. It's a stupid question for me to ask this. If, if you had those last 10 verses only, you wouldn't choose the rich man. Okay. Uh, Before moving on, I want to make an observation about how we answered both of those. And I'm assuming that you all had the same exact answer, that nobody chose to be Lazarus or nobody chose to go to hell um, or to be poor in this life. In both scenarios, we are choosing the answer that avoids pain and suffering. That's what we're doing both times. We choose what is good, and that, in fact, is the universal answer. Every, if I presented this to anybody, if I took a survey, if I went out to the street and took a survey and put this before people, everyone's going to answer the same exact way. Of course they are. Um, all people want this. This is universal. And in fact, it is not a sin to want that. In fact, those are the right answers. It's not a sin to want those things. As far as I'm aware, it is not a virtue to want to be poor. It's not a virtue, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, it's not a virtue to want to be poor. If you are, okay, then be content with what you have. But the desire to be poor or the desire to have pain or the desire to suffer is not virtuous in and of itself. In in fact, it is not normal for us to want those things, to want to be hurt, to want to be... It's it's unnatural. Uh, We weren't created for that. Our bodies weren't meant for that sort of thing. So wanting life, wanting good things, wanting peace is the right answer. It is natural and good, and that is universal to all people. We all want the same thing. We long for health, we long for wealth, and we we long for success. So what what I'm trying to say here... that the point of this excursus is simply that there's nothing wrong with you if you chose the answers you did. If you chose the rich man in life or if you chose Lazarus in death. Ideally, we would want both, right? Now, the reality is this, that the text is not those three verses, and it's not 10 verses, but it's 13 verses. It's all of the verses. All 13 verses show you how they lived, that they died, what happened in life, um, and what happened in the life to come, and why. Why they have the eternal faith that they, they, they had. Uh, when, when people read this text, all too often I hear this misconception that people just jump ahead to the conclusion or make the false conclusion and say something like, 
look, well, the rich man is in hell because he was rich. And Lazarus, the poor man, is in heaven because he was poor. And this parable is, or this teaching is simply about evening the scales. So that if you have a rough life here, well, then God is going to even it out and there's going to be justice and he'll make up for it in the life to come. And if you have a really, really good life here, well, then don't worry, it's coming to you and you're going to be humbled and it's going to be brought to you at one point. As if that's the the whole point of the, the text here. That is not the point. Because there are rich people in heaven. In fact, Abraham was filthy rich, and he is in heaven. <laughs> there are many. Job was rich, and then poor, and then rich again. But he is also, I mean, it's all throughout the scriptures. There are rich people in heaven. There are also poor people who are in hell. So it can't be that just being rich automatically sends you to hell, or being poor automatically sends you to heaven. So it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to be blessed by God with many, many things and success. And it's not a virtue uh, to be poor or to want to be poor. The reality is this. The rich man is in hell, not because of his riches, but the rich man is in hell is, is because the reason he is in hell is because he rejected the word of God. That's why he's in hell. And Lazarus is in heaven because he believed the word of God. And that's why he's in heaven. He's not in heaven on account of his suffering or his poverty. He is in heaven on account of Christ and his faith in him. And I want to show you that I'm not imposing this or adding this to the text. I'm not going elsewhere and saying, okay, I'm going to grab this verse and shove it in here and make that what this is about. No, that is what this text is about. That's precisely what it's about. It's about the word of God here. I'm simply deducing this from the text that is there plainly before you. In the 13 verses, there is, a, in, the, in the latter half, there is a conversation that happens between, between that rich man who's in hell and Abraham, who's in heaven. And the rich man cries out and he says, I beg you, Father. So we can tell that he was a Jew. He's probably a little bit religious even, or was in his life. And he says, I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers so that Lazarus might warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. So the rich man, when he finds out he cannot get out of hell, he says, well, I, gotta, I, I can't bear this and I can't even bear the thought of my brothers going through this. So why don't you send Lazarus to go and convert them so that they don't come to hell with me? That, that's his plan in his, in his mind. And then Abraham says this, his response is this. They, your five brothers, have Moses and the prophets. And the rich man says what? The first word out of his mouth is no. He says no. No, Father Abraham. So he doesn't like that. He doesn't like Moses and the prophets. He says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. And then Abraham uh, uh, puts the nail in the coffin here and he says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. Do you, do you see what's going on here? Moses and the prophets is another way of saying the Bible. 
It's the word of God. In, in fact, and I'm not making that up either. Luke chapter 24, when Jesus, after his resurrection, he's on the road to Emmaus. He's talking to the disciples. And it says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all in the scriptures the things concerning himself. <laughs> Moses and the prophets is the word of God. That, so, so, what it, so the rich man is arguing with Abraham, and Abraham says, no, they have the Bible, and the rich man says, nope, that's not enough. The Bible's not enough. They need something more. And Abraham says, nope, they have the Bible, and that is enough. It's sufficient. Now, I'm getting back to the main point that the reason the rich man is in hell is because he rejected the word, and the reason Lazarus is in heaven is because he believed the word of God. And this is how we can deduce this from the text itself plainly before us. We know the rich man rejected the word of God for himself because he rejected the word of God for his five brothers. The Bible was not enough to bring them to repentance and faith, and that is his complaint. It was not enough to bring me to repentance and faith. Do you see? And if he didn't think it was enough for his brothers, he didn't think it was enough for himself. And if the only hope that those five brothers have, if the only hope that they have to go to heaven is to hear Moses and the prophets, that is the word of God, then that is the only hope for anyone, including Lazarus. And Lazarus, we know, is in heaven. And therefore... He heard Moses and the prophets. He believed the word. He heard the word. He believed it. And therefore, he is in heaven. So when we take all 13 verses together, what do we have? Take all of this uh, that's, uh, that's been said so far. On the one hand, you have Lazarus, a man who had everything precious in this life taken away from him. Except... For Jesus, except for the Word of God. He lost everything but faith in Christ. Every, everything that you are afraid of losing, I can tell you, Lazarus lost all of it. Your health, he lost it. Your home, he didn't have one. Friends and family, he had none. Food, he didn't have any. Clothing, so on and so forth. Everything was taken away from him but the Lord. He retained the Lord, and therefore he retained forgiveness and life and salvation. On the other hand, you have a rich man, a man who had everything precious in this life given to him. What is it that you want that the rich man didn't already have? house, a big house, clothing, good clothing, (laughs) a big family, a lot of food, excess, so on and so forth. The rich man has everything but the Lord. He has everything but the word of God. He He does not have the Lord Jesus, and even in hell, the man, the rich man despises the Bible. He despises God's word. So he rejects the word, and therefore he rejects the Lord who spoke that word, and he rejects the forgiveness given in that word, and the life, and the salvation, and the peace that surpasses all understanding. He rejected it for himself. He he was busy with other things. He, He couldn't be bothered by it. Lazarus has everything taken away from him except for Jesus, 
And then in a few moments, he had everything given back to him when he died. The rich man had everything given to him except for Jesus, and then he had it all taken away from him forever. Lazarus' days of sorrow come to an end. They come to an end, a definitive end. It it is the end of his suffering and his sorrow. And the rich man, his days of sorrow and suffering are just beginning. They're just at the start. And the condition is irreversible. Lazarus is never ever to be brought down again, thanks be to God. And the rich man is never to be lifted up again. No hope. Now you know the whole story. Which would you choose? Lazarus or the rich man? And in fact, this is a ridiculous decision to make, right? It's, it's an absurd decision. It, it, would, it would be stupid to stop and try and think about what the right answer should be here, right? Which of the two would you rather read, the rich man or Lazarus, knowing the whole story? If you stop to think about it, that's an absurdity. Well, the answer is what? Of course, Lazarus. You, I would rather... Uh, It's not meant to be a hard choice between the two. I would rather put up with a a little bit of suffering for an eternal bliss rather than a little bit of joy for eternal torment, right? If you had to choose, you know what you would pick. Thankfully, you don't have to pick. But the Lord is simply giving you this parable, this text, so that you would know that if you did have to pick, you would choose Lazarus, far more blessed than that rich man, (laughs) richer, more wealthy than that rich man and all he had. Even if it came with a lifetime of suffering and sorrow and sadness, 100 times out of 100 times, you would choose Lazarus. You are not fools. You're not foolish. The main point of this entire text is that this is a poetic way of asking one simple question. Would you rather have this world and everything in it or Jesus? Which would you rather have? Would you rather have the world with all of its gold and silver or the word of God? And the answer, of course, is I would rather have Jesus every, every, every single time. A thousand times if I had to. The word of God is far more precious and valuable than anything in this life. I would be willing to endure suffering and loneliness and lowliness and agony and this brief life of labor and this veil of tears for however long it's going to last. Whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever suffering, whatever weeping and mourning that may, may come, I would rather go through all of those things just so long as I have Jesus, as I have Christ. Out of, and out of his fullness, he will repay me And give me more than the world could ever take away. You're not fools. This this free word of God that is going into your ears right now, that is preached into your heart, is more valuable, more valuable and costly 
and more precious than anything in this world. Anything. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things for the sake of knowing Christ, my Lord. He says, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain, not loss. In the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, we say, we sing the words, Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone, yet they have yet nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. If you have everything but Jesus, you have nothing. And if you have nothing but only Jesus, then you have everything. Jesus is not a means to an end, by the way. It's not like we believe in Jesus because we want all of this nice and fancy, good, comforting stuff. No, we would choose Jesus over and above all of those other things. He is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the goal, the thing that we are after. He is the thing that we long for. Everything else is additional. Everything else is a footnote to Christ, to having him. Him and him crucified. Having his word is more precious than anything else. And everything else in my life is then secondary to that and tertiary. This is what you just sang in that hymn, uh, hymn 708, Lord, Thee I love with all my heart. Uh, By the way, just uh, going off the cuff here, that is my favorite hymn. And I have not met a pastor yet. I could be wrong, but I have not met a pastor yet that this is not his favorite hymn also. (laughs) That hymn 708 is not, at least top five, I would say. Uh, It is the most beautiful hymn. Especially the last verse. Uh, Lord, let at last thine angels come. Okay, uh, the first verse of this hymn says this, and this is what we just sang. Lord, thee I love with all my heart. I pray thee ne'er, never from me depart. With tender mercy cheer me. Earth has no pleasure that I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare if thou, Lord, were not near me. And that is remarkable. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare if thou, Lord, were not near me. I'll I'll give you an analogy here to kind of explain what what we just sang and what that means, that heaven would be empty without Jesus. So imagine that there's a son or a child and he has a big soccer game or something coming up. Um, And then he has his uh, new uniform, his cleats, his shin guard, the, uh, I don't know, the arena or the the stadium is full of people, the bleachers, the stands, uh, and everyone is decked out, and this is the biggest game of the year, and all these sort of things are going on. And this one child, this son, goes on to score the winning goal at the very last seconds, and wins it. And everyone is cheering and celebrating. They're lifting him up. They give him the trophy. And the child looks around. And he looks to the stands. And his father isn't there. And his father missed it. And as great as all of those things are, that child, looks, that child is filled with sadness and sorrow because 
His father isn't there. Do you see this? There's a stadium full of people, and as, as, as far as that kid is concerned, that stadium to him is empty because the one person he wanted there was not there. Do you see this? That's sort of what it's like to have heaven with no Jesus. <clears throat> Imagine you die and you go to heaven. All of your aches and your pains and your sores are gone. Your financial worries are a thing of the past. Your political troubles are vanished. Never have to worry about that ever again or think about it. You even see loved ones and everyone is happy. You see the glory of the angels. And you look around and you don't see Jesus. And he's not there. Is that heaven? A, pl- a place where Jesus is not, is that heaven? No, of course not. As, as great as all of those things are, I'm not putting them down. I'm not saying they're, they're not good or that they're bad things. As great as they all are, as full of, and, and glorious as it may seem, heaven then would be empty because Jesus is not there with me. Now imagine then you turn around and you see the face of your dear Lord Jesus, the one who made you, the one who loved you unto the end, the one who bled and died for you and gave his life for you. Is that heaven? Now it is. Yes. Everything else is good and great, but now your joy is complete. Now the thing that you have longed for your entire life is there, and you have it, and it's complete. So what good is the world and everything in it if you do not have Christ, your dear Lord, the one who loved you and saved you, forgives you, gave his life for you? Uh, in getting ready to close here, for those of you who have had things taken away from you this last month or year or a couple of years, I want to give some encouragement. And it's the greatest, the best encouragement that anyone ever can give you. And it is that you are baptized. There is nothing more valuable. You belong to Jesus. You have Jesus. And Jesus has you. You have the Bible. You have Holy Scripture. And see if the world can pry that out of your hands or take it out of your heart. You have Christ's death and his resurrection. You have everything he suffered, everything he won on his blessed cross. And nothing is going to take him away from you. Not life, not death, not angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything in all creation. Whatever else this world has taken, Jesus himself will give back to you in a few moments. Very, very soon. Very soon, you'll be where Lazarus is. And where all of the saints of heaven are. And you'll have everything he's given. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So, on account of all these things that Christ did for us, we do not lose heart. That is, we don't lose hope or become discouraged or hang our heads. We do not lose heart no matter what we lose in this life. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.